please and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark again. The Gospel of Mark. And find the 14th chapter, and we'll be there in a moment. As we're journeying with Jesus to the cross, we have to spend some time in Gethsemane. Gethsemane was a special place to the Lord Jesus. In fact, it says in the Gospel of John, the 18th chapter, the second verse, that Jesus often met there with His disciples. But on this particular Thursday night that we're going to talk about today, and by the way, it was the last Thursday night prior to the cross, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. If, if you've been around church for any amount of time, then you probably know the story. If you don't know the story, if you're newer to the faith, then you're in for an incredible story today as we see what transpires in the life of the Lord Jesus on that Thursday night leading up to the cross. As I revisited this passage this past week and and I, and I saw, Lord, what do you want to teach us from this? Because a lot of us, we've heard this story our whole lives. We, we know the story. We, we learned it as a child in Sunday school. We've learned it through the years. We've heard it. What do you want to teach us from this story? Afresh and anew. Three great realities came to the surface. And I want to share those three great realities with you today. But before we do that, we need to go back to the Gospel of Mark here and actually read the story again or maybe for some for the very first time. So if you've got your Bible there, uh, we're going to follow along as I read in Mark chapter 14. I'll begin reading in verse 32, read down through verse 42. Mark chapter 14. The Bible says, Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he, that is Jesus, began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Verse 37 says, Then he came and found them sleeping. And said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Every time I read this passage, I really sense that I'm on holy ground. The Lord Jesus is there in agony praying. The cross is staring Him in the face. Jesus, God in the flesh, is about to be crucified on Calvary for the sins that He did not commit. He never sinned. He's facing this because of my sin. He's facing this because of our sin. He's going to give His life for us. And here He is just a short time before 
His disciple, the one that He called, the one that He ministered to, the one that He expressed love and showed love for and taught all this time. Judas Iscariot is gathering together with those who are going to take the Lord Jesus and crucify Him. In just a short time, He's coming to betray the Lord Jesus with a kiss. And what do we find Jesus doing at that moment? We find Him praying. We find Him talking to the Father. And as I studied, three great realities came to the surface. And I want to share these with you today. You might want to jot them down as you think about this time in the Lord Jesus' life, what He's about to endure for us. And the first great reality is this, and I want you not to miss this one now, the will of God is not always easy. The will of God is not always easy. Now here we have Jesus. God in the flesh, perfectly in the will of God. And what does that will entail? Well, it entails dying on a cruel Roman cross. He's going to suffer. He's going to be beaten. He's going to have his beard plucked from his face. He's going to bleed. He's going to be whipped. And then he's going to be nailed to two pieces of wood and killed within the will of God. Now, Jesus is fully God and fully human, fully man, joined together forever. The God-man. And I think we see that union and the elements or the essence of each, if you will, here, both aspects coming into play in this particular story, in this particular episode from Jesus' life. We have God in flesh. Perfect man, perfect God joined together. In verse 33, it says in the passage that he was troubled and deeply distressed. I want you to picture that in your mind. Here he is, God in the flesh, and he's troubled. And he's deeply distressed. He told Peter, James, and John in verse 34 that his soul was exceedingly sorrowful even to death. And then in verse 36, when you hear him praying, this is not like a table grace. This is not like asking the blessing of your food. It's not a nice, clean, quick, and and cute prayer, if you will. It was agony. It was bloody. It was intense. In fact, Luke tells us in his account of this in Luke 22 that an angel from heaven appeared and ministered to Jesus at this point. And then it says in Luke 22:44, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. So I know in the painting that you've seen, <coughs> we have Jesus there maybe in, on the rock and there's a light coming from heaven. And it's just a scene, you know, it just seems like a beautiful piece of art. But that's really not what's going on here. He is praying in agony, intensely sweating blood. So much so, so agonizing a prayer that an angel has to come and minister to him. Because he's facing the cross. And he's facing the cross as God, yes. But he's facing the cross as a man. The human side of Jesus who feels what we feel, who knows what it is to hunger and to thirst and to get tired and get weary and, you know, if he stumped his toe, he felt pain. The things that we experience, he's about to die a horrendous, horrible, torturous death. Being nailed to boards to die. 
That's the human side. But then on the divine side, as God, born of the virgin, sinless, perfect, He's about to take upon Himself the sin of the world. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be put back in a right relationship with God. All of Jesus' earthly life has led up to this point. And when it arrives, you know, he, he realized he was born to die. When it arrives, Jesus is troubled. He's sorrowful. He's in agony. Any of us who are facing something like this, we likewise would be just overwhelmed with emotion. Now, I don't even pretend to understand all that goes on in this prayer in the garden. Uh, this, this is beyond my pay grade. When you, when you see God, pray, God the Son praying to God the Father, look at what He says again in verse 36. And He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for You. Take this cup away from Me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what You will. And, and I don't even understand all the nuances and the theological implications. And, and this is just amazing. And we could probably spend a long time just studying that. But I just want you to think about it. This is God the Son talking to God the Father. He says, Abba, Father. He says, all things are possible for You. You can do anything. If it's possible, let this cup of suffering, this cup of death, this... What's coming? Let, let it pass. Make it where I don't have to go through this. But nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I don't understand all that. But I sure appreciate God putting in the Scripture. Because <laughs> I know there's been times in my life where I've gone to the Lord and I wanted something to be different. And I could just be honest about it, just as the Lord Jesus is. But he says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. But the will of God the Father here was for God the Son to die on the cross. Why? That we might have the forgiveness of our sin and eternal life. And the point I'm making today is the will of God is not always easy. We need to realize that. We need to come to grips with that. We need to accept that. We need to understand that there are times where God might call us to circumstances, situations, problems, storms, whatever it might be, and they're not going to be easy. They're not going to be anything we signed up for, anything we wanted, anything we asked for. But we have to understand that the will of God is always perfect. For the child of God, there is a purpose in our pain. There's a purpose in our suffering. There's a purpose in the trials. He's working to make us more like Jesus. He's working to glorify Himself and to bring about good in our life. See, the sacrifice that Jesus is about to endure, here He is on this Thursday night wrestling with it. He's going to die in a very short time. This sacrifice is going to open heaven for us. It's going to provide for us peace and forgiveness and life eternal. Had Jesus not gone to the cross and been crucified and buried and rose again, we'd have no hope today. We'd be lost and damned and doomed. And the only shred of any kind of happiness or joy is whether we could maybe wrestle from this world before we'd burn in hell forever. But God in His grace and His mercy and His love says, no, I love you too much for that. 
I want your life to have meaning. I want your life to have purpose. I want you to understand that you are here and you're here for My kingdom. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. And then after this life, I want you to come and be with Me. As Jesus said, what? Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in Me. My Father's house are many mansions. Were it not so, I would have told you, I'd go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, behold, I come and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He wants to spend eternity with us. But that was only going to happen if He endured what was coming as He's wrestling in the garden. As He says, nevertheless, not My will, but Thy will be done. And some of you may find yourself today and you're dealing with some difficulty. And by the way, I apologize if somebody sold you a bill of goods that was not true when you became a Christian. If someone told you to become a Christian and, and everything will be sunshine and roses from then on and there will be no storms, no clouds, no problems, no sorrow, no pain and you're just going to walk in health, wealth and prosperity. If they told you that, friend, they misled you. Now that will be true ultimately. One day we will be in perfect health and all will be perfect in heaven. But here, here, the reality is this. You become a Christian in this world and sometimes things actually get harder. Because now you're kind of swimming upstream. You're not going along with the world. You're seeking to live for Jesus. The will of God is not always easy, but it's always perfect. That's one great reality. But I don't want to get bogged down. I need to give you two more. Second great reality that surfaced from this account in Jesus' life is this. The love of God is absolutely incredible. The love of God is absolutely incredible. From every angle of this account of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, we are engulfed in God's love. Jesus was willing to endure all of this because He loved us. I love that the Holy Spirit captured the words of Jesus' prayer here. Look at verse 36 again. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for You. Take this cup away from Me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but what You will. Jesus acknowledges that the Father is sovereign. The Father is all-powerful. All things are possible for You. By the way, do you believe that today? Do you really believe that? Do you believe that God is all-powerful, that He's sovereign, that He can do whatever He wants to do? Nothing's too hard for God. And as He prays here for this cup to be taken away, in the next breath, He prays words of surrender. He surrenders His will to the will of the Father. By the way, beloved, if I look at this prayer from the Lord Jesus, this is how we need to pray. Some of you are in this season of storms and problems right now and you need to pray this way. God, I know You can do anything. And Lord, if You can, take this away. Resolve this. Bring about a remedy. Bring about a resolution. Deliver me from this. I know You can do it. I know it's possible. And just cry out to Him. Be honest with Him. But then don't forget to add the next part. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. I can't hang, 
I can't help but think about one of the greatest statements of faith, I think, in all the Bible. You go to the book of Daniel, you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're standing there, and the, the fiery furnace is getting heated up for them. Nebuchadnezzar gives them another opportunity to bow down and worship the statue. And what do they say? They say, well, we're going to be careful in answering. We, you know, the truth of the matter is, King, the God that we serve is able to deliver us. He's sovereign. He's powerful. He can deliver us. But even if He doesn't, we will not bow down and worship your statue. You talk about faith. Our God can deliver us. And if he, if he chooses to, that's great. If He doesn't, that's fine too. But we will not bow down. Because, nevertheless, not our will be done, but the will of God. And what we have here is we have the Lord Jesus praying to the Father and He surrenders. I read these words from Paul David Tripp recently. They challenged me so much. I have them on my phone right now. I want you to hear what he says. Christian, he's talking to you. Listen to what he says. We are called to die to that life where we did what we wanted to do, when we wanted to do it, and how we wanted to do it. We're called to die to setting our own rules and living however we please. We're called to die to our rulership of our own lives. We're called to let go of our own self-appointed sovereignty, living as if we're the only master that we need and to surrender ourselves and all we have to another master. That, beloved, is discipleship. That says, Lord, You are master. I'm not master. You're in charge. I'm not in charge. You set the agenda. I don't set the agenda. You tell me what to do, not me telling you what to do. We can humbly ask. And He says ask. We just sang about it. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. He says to ask, seek, knock. But we come in humility and say, Father, please fix this. Resolve this. Bring about a remedy. Deliver, heal, provide, whatever. You can do it. I believe you can do it. I, I really believe. You're sovereign. You can do all things. But nevertheless... Not as I will, but as you will. Because we're human. Now, Jesus is God. And He says these words. We're human. And when you think about it, our vision is so limited. When you're going on a trip today, you're going to go on a... I don't even leave here and ride out the album tomorrow and get something to eat. What do you got, like 25, 26 miles? You can only see a very short distance ahead. You can't see what's coming at mile marker 20. You can't see what's coming at the 15th mile. You just see right ahead where you can see just off in the distance from where you are in your car seat to the next step, to the next step, to the next step. But God sees everything. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so we come surrendering Him, saying, Father, now I really believe this is what we ought to do. Lord, would You do this? And sometimes God says, No, I have a better plan. My way is perfect. God's love is incredible here. Do you, do you see what's taking place? You have the love of God the Father here. The love of God the Father is sacrificing His Son to take our place. He, he, he lays the punishment that we should receive upon His own Son, upon the precious Lamb of God, 
That is the Lord Jesus. We have the love of God the Father. We have the love of God the Son here. Why? Because He voluntarily lays down His life upon the cross. Can I just remind you of something? They didn't take Jesus' life against His will. They didn't force Him here. He gave His life for us. He surrendered His life. He could have spoke the world out of existence had He chosen to do so. Pilate and those rulers thought we are somebody. They were nothing but tools as they chose their own wicked way that God used to bring about His plan, His will, to bring about redemption. The incredible love that God has for us. And by the way, that love includes you. Have you experienced the love of God? So what is the love of God like? Well, you're seeing it right here. We sang about it earlier. Come behold the wondrous mystery. Here's the story in a nutshell. You have God and He creates humanity. He puts Him in a perfect environment, a perfect garden, the Garden of Eden. He gives Adam, Eve, they live together, they walk with God in perfect harmony and only one restriction. Don't eat of that tree. Of course, the enemy comes along and tempts them. They take of the tree. They plunge themselves into sin. They plunge the creation into sin. And we groan under that until today. And then all of their offspring passes along that sin nature. And we're part of it. And we're sinners by nature and sinners by choice. And that sin that we have, it separates us from the Holy God. In fact, it is the blood that must cover that sin. We see it in the garden. As soon as Adam and Eve sin, they don't run to God, they run and hide. They try to cover themselves in their own works and their own efforts. They take fig leaves and sew them together to cover themselves. And God comes calling, where are you? And then He says He clothes them in skins. That is, He kills an animal or animals and blood is shed. A sacrifice is made. And that blood, if you will, and then throughout all the Old Testament sacrifice. The blood covering the sin, covering the sin, covering the sin. He couldn't take it away. It covers it. It covers it. It covers it. But it's all a picture of who? The Lamb that is to come. The Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. The one we're talking about today. The Lord Jesus. And then we have God's plan playing out and you get to the point in the New Testament. It's been predicted and prophesied. And you get to the New Testament and behold, an angel appears into a virgin named Mary. You're going to give birth to a son, the Messiah. They've been waiting for Him. And she's pregnant with the Messiah. God in the flesh. We celebrate at Christmas time. And she's holding in her hands humanity and deity, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He grows up and lives a sinless, perfect life. And then we get to our story here. As we'll see in the coming weeks, He's going to go to that cross. He's going to voluntarily give His life. And He's shedding His blood. You see, He is the one that can take away our sin. Forgive our sin. He dies as the perfect sacrifice in our place. And He not only died and was buried, 
As we're about to celebrate in a couple of weeks, he rises again, victorious over sin, hell, and the grave. And the Bible very clearly says, if we'll recognize that we are a sinner and we repent of our sin, that is, we choose to turn away from our sin and place our trust, our dependence, our faith in God, in Jesus alone, then He cleanses us and washes us of all of our sin. He makes us a new creation in Christ. We're made heirs and joint heirs with Christ. He takes away our sin and credits our account with the righteousness of Christ. He makes us sons and daughters of God. The Holy Spirit, that is the third member of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit literally comes and takes up residence, dwells within us as believers to help us, to teach us, to guide us, to direct us, to pray for us. There's so many things that He does in our lives. And then when we come to the end of this life and we die, it's not the end. In fact, we leave behind our body in whatever form or shape it may be. We leave behind that. And we, the Bible says to be absent from our bodies, to be present with the Lord. And we go to eternity with Him. And then at some point when He comes back in what we call the raptures, the Bible teaches, we are resurrected. Our remains here are resurrected. And we're reunited with our soul and our spirit, if you will. And we are given new bodies, eternal bodies to live forever. Now, this is a lot. This is just a nutshell. But for us, it all begins when the moment where God says to us, I'm talking to you. You are a sinner. You need Jesus Christ. You need a Savior. And He brings you to the point where you place your faith in Christ and you're given new life. You have to do that for yourself. I mean, God enables you. What I mean by that is, I can't do that for you. I can't make that decision. Your friends can't. Your family can't. You, you don't go to heaven on grandma's coattails. Nobody else can do this. You must have a personal relationship. You must decide for Christ. If you've never done that, I encourage you to do that today. To cry out to Him. One more reality and we're done. Don't miss this one. Don't close up shop. Don't, don't tune out. The help of God is ours for the asking. The help of God is ours for the asking. Now you have the picture here, don't you? Jesus takes His disciples. He's going to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. This is an often used spot. His disciples knew it. Judas Iscariot knew where He went because they'd often been there. But He takes His disciples. Y'all stay here and watch. Then He takes three of them, Peter, James, and John takes them a little further in and he says to them what? He says, I want you to watch him pray. Um, here's what I'm going through. Here's what I'm facing. Watch him pray. Pray for me. Watch him pray. And then Jesus himself goes on a little further from them. If you go back and look in Luke's Gospel, it says he went a stone's throw away. You say, well, how far is that preacher? I guess ever how, it depends on who's throwing the stone. Right? But he goes a shorter distance away, if you will. So he takes the group, leaves them there. Peter, James, and John leaves them there. Then he goes a stone's throw away and he falls down and he begins to pray. 
Luke says this in Luke 22:40. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter in temptation. That's what he says to them. And what do these disciples do? They've been warned. The alarm goes off. Pray that you enter not temptation. What do they do? They hit the snooze button. Look back at Mark 14. Look at verse 37. He came and found them doing what? Sleeping. And said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. And then he says these words, if you found them true in your life, the Spirit indeed is willing. Oh, but the flesh. The flesh is weak. Let's be honest, how many of us have decided we're going to pray? Next thing you know, we wake up. What happened? Well, surely they'll stay awake this time and pray. Look at verse 39. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. Verse 40. And when he returned, he found them asleep again. For their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to answer him. Just like your kids on a school morning. They roll over and tuck back in. Verse 41. Then he came to them the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Talk about a rude awakening. Wake up. My betrayer's here. Can you imagine? The time to pray, the time to prepare, the time to get ready, to, to get the spiritual resources that are needed to face what's coming, that time has now passed. The alarm sounded. It's too late. The betrayer's at hand. Here comes Judas Iscariot with the soldiers. The help of ours is... The help of God is ours for the asking. But what do we do? Sadly, we do the same thing that they do. We hit the snooze button. We're going to rest a while. We're going to snooze a while. We, he says, watch and pray. Seek the Lord. Ask for His help. No, we're going to sleep. Now, I want to be too hard on you. You know why? Because I know myself. And honestly, I would have been sleeping right beside him. They didn't listen to the warnings. They didn't take it seriously enough. What does Jesus teach us in the model prayer? He says what? To pray this way, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're in a spiritual battle. We battle against the flesh and the world and the devil. We need divine assistance. We need resources. We need help. And they're ours for the asking. Look at James 1.5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Look at Matthew 7.7. We talked about it already today. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be open unto you. God says, listen, pray that you enter not into temptation. We're in a spiritual battle. There's a war going on. Prepare. The alarm sounding. Don't hit the snooze button. The truth of the matter is, none of us really know what we're going to face on any given day. In a moment's time, in the snap of a finger, our lives can change forever. How many stories of tragedy begin like this? It begins as any ordinary day. We need to be prepared and prayed up and ready uh, spiritually prepared, and God's help is ours for the asking. Now we see, we're going to close with this, we see the difference in their response to the, the challenge in the garden, don't we? We see the response of what happens. We have Jesus who's praying and seeking the Father, and we have the disciples who are snoozing. 
So let's see what happens as a result of that. What happens? Well, we know that Jesus prays. He says, Father, you can do all things. Take this cup away. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He agonized in prayer. The moment comes. Judas Iscariot comes, kisses him, and what does Jesus do? He surrenders. What do the disciples do? Maybe they're still hung over from their sleep, their nap. You go back and read the different accounts. You have Simon, who was warned. He gets up, draws the sword. Cuts off Malchus's ear. He's ready to fight. Jesus restores the ear, tells him to put the sword away. You keep reading. And you know what the disciples do? They forsake Jesus and scatter. They didn't watch him pray. Someone has said, and I don't know if I want to go as far, I'm still contemplating that all, all of our failures are prayer failures. Let's review the three realities and then we're done. The will of God is not always easy, but it's perfect. So what should we do? We should surrender to it. Not my will, but thy will be done. The love of God is absolutely incredible, so why should we respond? We should receive it. And finally, the help of God is ours for the asking, so don't snooze and lose it. Stay awake and watch and pray. Let's bow together. Father, we see ourselves in the lives of your disciples. Help us to watch and pray that we enter not into temptation. Deliver us from evil and the evil one. If anybody's here that needs you today, whether it be salvation or for some other need, would they cry out to you knowing that your help, your rescue, your deliverance is theirs for the asking. Work and move, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn this morning, and the altar is open. 170, little chorus that's so true. Friend, if you've never received Christ, today's the day. Today's the day. There's another need upon your life. You can come today as we sing. But let's stand together and sing in closing. Oh, how He loves